Well, hey everyone, it's time for Geocache Talk. Whether you're at work, in the car, or wherever you are, we hope you're enjoying the show. Please give it a like on and subscribe on iTunes so that you can get all the weekly Geocache Talk goodness. A big thanks to Doug Jones and Joshua Slinkard for being patrons of the show. If you'd like to find out more about being a part of that uh, Patreon, head on over to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash geocache talk for more details. Today I have on the show my friend Daryl W. Four. We have uh, geocaching news and our weekly product tip. So let's jump right into show number one for Sunday, June 12th, 2016. And thank you, Daryl, for being part of show number one. Oh, thank you. It's an honor to be on uh, show number ones. Oh, thank you. Uh, we were just talking a minute ago about the uh, the show ones that you've been involved with. Uh, this is my first show one. So um, uh, you were, you've been show one on a couple. What, what, which ones were you show ones on? That you've well, all of them have been the uh, productions that I've done. I, my first show one was a uh, Michigan Cycling Podcast. Mm-hmm. And that one uh, was probably the easiest one. Uh, to do just because I didn't know what I was getting myself into really. Right. And uh, Casher Maniacs did a show one that was again very different from the normal ones because my show one was the intro show. Oh. Talking gotcha. about what it was, giving you some basics, you know. Then we went to show two, but I had sh- uh, the interviews for shows two, three, four, and five. I think it was recorded before we even did the intro. Oh, okay. Those so, are all again. Oh, it's all pre-recorded. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's all yeah. pre-recorded stuff. We actually did some video shows uh, with that one as well, but that wasn't until after the launch event that we started with the uh, videos. And we actually had a launch event for that oh, at yeah. about uh, sixty or seventy people, I think, show up. Uh, did uh, a little bit of a uh, spiel, you know, introduced uh-huh. it, and uh, we took that room before the uh, intro event for the cashers. And did three or four video interviews with uh, local cashers. Well, very cool. Um, uh, see. And then after that was uh, cashers of the roundtable, right? And uh, Geo Gearheads, and I think that's all of the uh, show ones that I've done. Well, that's neat. Well, you get to be part of the show one here tonight, uh, and we're going to jump right into geocaching news because I want to really get into. Uh, the show topic with Daryl. So we're going to move right on ahead. Uh, Geocaching News um, is sponsored by FTF Magazine. FTF Magazine can be found at ftfgeocacher.com. And I do want to take a moment and show dun, 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 on the screen. I've got the latest, ver- the latest issue of FTF Magazine, uh, Volume 7. I think that's the year uh, in Issue 2. Uh, so, uh, I highly suggest getting you, getting a, uh, subscription to FTF magazine. Um, Keith does a great job of putting, uh, things together. This episode or this, uh, uh, magazine, uh, has some really cool things about, um, uh, gear for your, for your geocaching bag, um, the usual, uh, great articles, uh, always won by Podcaster. Uh, Sunny and Sandy do a good job on that. And um, some other great stories um, that you really need to check out. Um, and, of course, uh, my other buddy, Tom Brotherman, Electric Water Boy, has his puzzle primer section. And so um, that's always fun, a fun read. So Geocaching Magazine. So we have a couple items in the news. And the first one we're going to talk about is uh, about Cashly. So, Daryl, why don't you tell us a little about that news article? All right. Yeah, we just had uh, Nick from Cashly on Geo Gearheads. Got to talk with him quite a bit, uh, both uh, during and after the show. That's always when it's the most fun is after you stop recording. Exactly. But if he mentioned this, I completely missed it with all of the other cool stuff he talked about. Uh, and on the blog, he actually posted that check marks are going to be shown in the icons uh, when you do your field notes and pending logs. So this is all about when you don't actually post those notes to geocaching.com yet. 
So you know, you save for later, is that kind of thing. Now it's going to actually give you an indication that you found that because that was causing some problems uh, for people in the past. And it was one of the uh, features that uh, he's been working on and now it's available. Awesome. Um, yeah, in fact, uh, Tom is on tonight, uh, Electrical Auto Boy, and he just said, hey, Gary and Daryl, love Cashly. We do love Cashly. Uh, next article is interesting. I switched it. I had another one, uh, but it wasn't really, this one's more relative to this week. And it's a, uh, start following um, the story about uh, some geocachers that were doing 48 states and D.C. in one week. And there's a website you can check out. It's called 48-n-1wk.com. And they have a blog set up there. And they finished their uh, trip. And I'm going to try to get Glenn uh, to come on the show. Glenn and Carrier, some people I contacted about this. But... They did 48 states and they did a geocache in every state. And uh, I don't know what <laughs> what drove them to think that this was something to do. I, it sounded like they had a great time. Uh, I don't know if I would ever do something like that. Um, they, they, you know, obviously it's sort of a, a great number to do for, you know, do all the States in a week. Um, part of their regrets of course, was that some of the States they did at night. (laughs) So they, they call all look alike at night, you know, but, uh, they were able to, to finish it. So, uh, check out their blog and, uh, Daryl, you think you would ever try to do 48 States in one week? I mean, I know you do, you know, crazy geocaching things like geocaching. We all do, four or 500 geocaches in a night, but you know, uh, it's not that bad. It's not that I, I think my, I think my max is still like 201 or something like that. Caches. It's still unbelievable. 24 hour period. You think you would drive yeah. that far? Oh, if, yeah, if I had the uh, time and you know, cause you're going to need some recovery time for this too, for certain and, and a lot of planning time. But, uh, yeah, this is that kind of thing like doing the ET highway where it's all about, you know, pushing yourself to do the most you can. And think about the uh, challenge caches they'll be able to complete after doing 48 states and the District of Columbia, Columbia. in just a week. In one week, yes. Crazy. Uh, it's anyway neat. Go check, go check out the blog. Uh, I, I've been reading along uh, as they did it. Fun. Um, so I, by all means, check that out. And then sometime, hopefully in the future, I'm trying to have uh, one of them on the show to, to discuss. So so tonight, uh, we're going to talk about um, Daryl. And this is interesting. This is show... I'm really going to confuse people, and I, I that's just the way it's going to be. Uh, this is show one, PS1, or profile show one. Uh, next week, I'm having uh, Sydney on. We're going to talk a little bit about planning uh, with Project GC, and that's going to be a topical show, number one. And uh, Daryl, you unfortunately are the uh, genesis of this idea to do this. Uh, <laughs> so, all which, the... which I blame on my first uh, geocaching show, which was all about uh, the geocachers. Right. So, was, uh, the Cacher Studio is what we had nicknamed it. Oh, cool. So uh, you get all the credit and all the blame at the same time because somebody's going to go, what? So, But I didn't mix them. So we're going to do profile shows and topical shows. But tonight's a profile show. I'm talking about Daryl. Um, and I guess really I need to start off. And I've probably heard this before because I've been listening um, to you. Um, I used to, um, when I, I guess I first uh, came across Daryl, if I can tell briefly, uh, was on the geocaching podcast, and I think at the time you were you were you were still doing two, you were doing two shows, but um, that was my first uh, time, uh, and that was the first show, uh, first podcast. So shout out to all the guys on geocaching podcast. Um, you know, still love the show to this day. I mentioned that in my little point five show, but um, Daryl was on there uh, a few years ago, and then. 
uh, left and, and um, really you were you know just geo uh, geo gearheads now uh, other right. than being on other shows to you know for for guesting but uh, yeah. well there was a point in which I was on uh, three shows on a regular basis I was producing two of them <laughs> wow I did uh, Casher Maniacs and uh, Cashers of the Roundtable mm-hmm. and then I uh, uh, co-produced uh, geocaching podcast with uh, X Punk X. Oh yeah, the first Andy, the founder of the show, the founder, which uh, very cool. Uh, that was before I was listening, but um, you've probably mentioned this, but Daryl W four is there? A, where does the you know? It's mean? one of those uh, perfect things that everyone always hears about. You get it assigned at some point in the early days of your computing, mm-hmm. and it just sticks with you. Uh, so Daryl W4 uh, uh, was assigned to me by the uh, beta version of America Online, which was called something else at the time. I don't even remember the name. Uh, it might have been called like Quantum Link or something because I believe at the time Quantum owned AOL and was working on developing it. So I was assigned Daryl to be four and I ended up using it there and just about everywhere else because it worked. It fits the uh, requirements for usernames and I don't have to think about it anymore. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Uh, I uh, Growing up, I was sort of always slinky, but uh, like you said, I, I don't know when. I think G-Slink was something that was assigned to me uh, like at work because it was the first letter of my first name and the first four digits of my last name or four, you know, four, four letters of my last name. And like you said, it just stuck. I never moved on from that. So not, it's not as nice, uh, to view it as, uh, or not as sexy as slinky mama. She's got a great name. Everybody loves that one. But, uh, anyway, back to the show. Let's talk <laughs> about, um, let's talk first about your first caching geocaching trip and, We'll go from there. Yeah, the first geocaching trip was in the uh, early days of my caching. I don't think I'd been even caching for a month. And it was one of those, uh, anyone who's from the area knows about Mackinac Island. And even a lot of people outside of the area know about uh, Mackinac Island because it's this quaint island where uh, motor vehicles aren't really permitted. They are, but you're just not allowed to use them during normal hours. And I've actually been... uh, forced off the road by dump trucks and things on the island oh my uh, but uh it's a uh, it's a cool place to go for you know a nice easy uh summer trip if you just want to hang out in the downtown area there's lots of like jip joining kind of stuff you know that mm-hmm. typical tourism thing and there's some beautiful uh, scenery on the island and it had been a fort in the early days of uh, uh the area so we went up there and Picked out a few caches along the island, which was not an easy task to do back then. Uh, and did our first virtual on the island. And that was really kind of frustrating at the time because we didn't totally get what a virtual cache was. Right. Which I think is part of the reason why they disappeared. And I'm really sad because they became my favorite type. Uh, but ended up doing probably about 10 or 11 caches on the island that day. Wow, that's that's pretty good. (laughs) Yeah, I'd have to go back and look, but it was really hard for us to do that because we were on bikes. We were using those early GPSRs. We had the uh, printed sheets with us because, you know, you didn't have, you know, this is like, uh, it's about 11 years ago now. So it was a totally different world for caching at the time. But it it was, that was it. We were, you know, I was hooked. My girlfriend at the time, she was hooked. And, you know, she was, when we started talking about it i was looking at geocaching because it's a location-based way to mark stuff that's what i was looking for and geocaching kept popping up i'm like okay i'm gonna play with this to see if i can Mm -hmm. figure out how this location stuff works and if i might be able to do something with like an audio tour because that's what i really wanted to do but uh i was talking about she's like that sounds stupid (laughs) by the time we found the first traditional cache she was done. She was hooked. That was it. She had to go find more. So it really cemented that. And I think we were uh, hunting around for caches back on the uh, mainland by that point to do just because we were that 
hooked on geocaching that we had to do more. Wow. Uh, what year was that? That would have been 2005. Okay. Right. Yeah. I think we've, you and I have talked about this before because we started caching in 06, so we weren't too far behind you, but we have some similar experiences and we'll, we'll, we'll talk about some of our uh, tech gadgets here in a moment. But so uh, from that, um, you also had, uh, you went to an event. Is, was that in 05 as well? Yeah, I, I want to say that was in October and we had gone to Mackinac in like August. So it had only been a couple of months. We drove something like an hour and a half, two hours to get to this event that we didn't, really knew nothing about. And the first event we go to is called the uh, Mego Fall Fun Days, which is this big geocachers from all over the state because Migos, the state organization, come together. And I don't know how many uh, cachers were actually there. But I swear it was a mega event. <laughs> you know, it felt like a mega. <laughs> there were you know, hundreds of people there. They right. did a, a poker run. And we had never heard of what a poker run was. We didn't understand it. But you know, we were going to do it. And we came really close to getting every one of the uh, stops that day. We ended up missing it because I made a mistake in not scrolling out enough after we punched in all the coordinates by hand on the sheet. Yes. And there's one cache like way up north that we ended up missing. Uh, you missed, oh, well. But still, that's pretty good. Yeah, it was it was an awesome time. Again, it got us hooked on events and kind of spoiled us for events because it was such a uh, well-done event with so many uh, cashers there. But we were amazed when we came back because it was like, you know, two months into caching, three months into caching, whatever it was. And we had come very close to finishing. We were very upset at ourselves for not finishing, but we had finished uh, with time to sp uh, spare minus, you know, the cash that we forgot. Right. And most of the other cashers hadn't uh, been able to get anywhere near that many or, you know, were coming back later. So, you know, we, we placed pretty well at uh, the completion part of it. Of course, we didn't come anywhere close to having what we were supposed to have as far mm -hmm. as the uh, card hand, but it was uh, uh, it was just an awesome experience. And we, we learned a lot of important things in that one, like don't look down at your GPS when you're walking across the bridge with the benches painted the same color as the deck of the bridge. Oh, no. She smacked right oh, into it. Oh, no. Big gash on her leg. She's laying down on the bench, laughing up a storm because it's oh. one of those. What else are you going to do? You just did something stupid that you know you probably shouldn't have been doing. But it was so fun to, you know. Yeah. We were just, we had a blast pushing ourselves and, you know, accidents are bound to happen. Well, true. But how I can just, I can, I can feel that right now. I, I've, I've done something like that before. And oh my gosh. Well, it's never it's never, no, it's like stepping on a Lego. Never. It, it's, it's funny. It's funny, but it's never fun. No, no. Well, that's awesome. I mean, that sounds like, it really does sound like you had a, a great event, great start to everything. Um, would you say that part of your prowess that day was the fact that you were probably better at the tech than some of the people because back then, probably not actually, because we okay. we were up against some really uh, skilled people, people who had done this kind of thing. People were bringing the laptops with the inverters in the truck, and you know they were uh, firing it up, working as teams. And we didn't know anyone yet. Okay, this was okay. our first trip out. You know, we didn't even know this was going to happen. You know, I had loaded caches in the area, no idea what the other stuff was, so we didn't do anything with that get up there and, you know, people are loading their uh, caches in the trucks and, you know, multiple teams. And it's like, yeah, these guys are serious about it. So wow. we didn't know what we were doing and we still ended up, um, you know, that far ahead, which is why we were so happy with uh, uh, how we placed, oh, but wow. it was not uh, uh, at all because we were not paying attention to the deck. We did, have a plan before we even got the sheets and got to the car. And uh, uh, what we ended up doing was I was uh, driving and navigating off one where we only put in like the first couple of uh, caches. And oh. then she was loading the other ones. 
and then swapped units so that we got the full uh, scope uh, pretty quickly, but we were already moving. So, you know, that was a big thing at the time. And that's what I really uh, uh, attribute our success to is that we didn't wait to hand enter all, you know, 30 cords or whatever by hand. Sure. Well, that's good. Yeah. Um, but interesting. So I'm going to show now um, Magellan Sport Track Pro. Yeah, that was the first unit I had, okay. uh, which, of course, you know, I didn't have that unit for geocaching. I had actually picked that unit up probably about 2002, and it was used for marking locations for doing uh, video shoots. Right. You know, we were marking each and every location so that we knew which uh, crossings this uh, train would go past because that's the stuff I was working on at the time documenting each location, putting in all that information into a database and building our shot sheets and agendas off of that. Right. So it worked pretty well for that, but we didn't actually use most of the features. So there was still a big learning curve with that stuff. And the serial loading was a pain and I never (laughs) got that really working right. Uh, But it took a good three or four months to actually get it to the point where I could take a GPX off of geocaching.com and load it. And none of this stuff worked with the apps that the uh, uh, companies actually provided. You know, it was one of those, uh, you needed to go out and find another app to actually do stuff, you know, like load a GPX file. So you had to go through all of that uh, garbage. It doesn't have much information. You could put a GC number in, maybe mm-hmm. a little bit more information, but not much. So everything was on printed pages. Oh, sure. Yeah, it, it took quite a bit to uh, go caching in those days with uh, GPS. You know, and, of course, a GPS in a phone was unheard of. Oh, of course. Yeah. So I found this. Our, our, uh, I think I'm sharing this. Are you seeing this too, Daryl? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, so uh, people that were uh, are listening, uh, I'll ex- sort of uh, give an explanation of what we're viewing live. But I pulled up your Magellan Sport Track Pro on eBay. Uh, yeah, I can buy it right now for thirty nine ninety nine. They're still selling, or somebody's selling one of these. So, yeah. but well, it, it looks, was a good, reliable unit. It has it quirks, but you know, and that was one like of the good back unit. In the days. Yeah, yeah looks- back in the days, uh, you know, Garmin had their quirks and Magellan had their quirks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, if you had the Magellan, it would do this uh, boomerang effect. So you knew that when you got within about uh, 40, 50 feet of the cache, you had to slow down, maybe even stop, because a lot of times you'd actually pass by the cache. Yes. You know, as so it did a boomerang. Uh, Garmin had uh, some um, uh, other issues with it, like it would tell you that you were at the cache before you got there. And it was all the way that they were doing their computations with these uh, uh, rather uh, weak processors and you know, older hardware. Now, you know, we have so much more processing power. Yeah. These kind of problems just are unheard of. It does look like a very cool unit. Uh, but yeah, like you said, it, um, I, I was going to show. Um... Well, to give an idea of just how early in the technology this stuff was, mm-hmm. they did make a color version. This was a black and white, but they did make a color version. However, most people told you don't get it because the color screen seems to interfere with the reception. Okay. So if you got the uh, color version, you might not get a good uh, location. It's fine if you're, you know, driving around and trying to stick to the roads, <laughs> but if you're out in the back country, you know, you could be uh, 40, 50 feet off. Right. That's crazy. Nowadays, yeah. we think, you know, you and I don't think twice about it because we had to live through it. But some people right. probably are like, you guys are insane. But I like that you load the load the batteries down there. Um, so let me stop screen sharing for a moment because I want to show, um, I won't talk, talk much about this item, but. Um, okay, so uh, this is our first one we had. It was a Meridian Gold, and uh, this one actually, um, the screens that you had on your on 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 that unit look a lot like the unit. A, a lot of the well, they like, were the same same uh, uh, vintage. I had uh, mm-hmm. one of the 
uh, color meridians that I originally got for uh, cycling and, you know, marking trails. And that's actually what I was going to use. But again, the color one didn't work quite as well. So we ended up not using that one. We used it, but it was more like the secondary unit. And Renee liked that one, or I'm sorry, uh, Dree liked that one better Mm -hmm. because um, it was a bigger screen, which is why I had it on the bike. Right. Yeah, I like the, the, and but it had this funky, did y'all have the same funky? It was the same cable for both. Okay. So you had the uh, pogo pins with the screw in the center. Right. <laughs> it worked great. Like you said, um, you know, if we could do, we weren't near as prolific as you, as, as you guys were as, as finding caches, but Susan and I, uh, we would print out, we'd print out like a dozen and we're like, we're not going to get to 12 caches today. But you'd print them out, and uh, uh, back then, uh, I'm sure y'all did this. Probably some similar is until um, you got to learn north, north and north, south, east, west on a on a GPS. Are you you'd kind of walk till you got to your north. Okay, I'm at north, so we're north now. The so very gotta- first cache I had done, I could not get the go to to work. I'd put the uh, waypoint in, but I couldn't get it to work. Oh, okay. So I'm sitting there staring at the uh, uh, coordinates. Okay. A little more. Okay. There. I'm there. Start walking. Oh, now I'm off of that one. Shoot. Ah. (laughs) Going back and forth. Came back. uh, You know, I just upset as all heck because, among other things, I stepped on a bee and, you know, stung my toe. Uh, But came back uh, later on and avenged that uh, DNF after I had figured out how to get the uh, go-to to work, which if I remember, I actually did have to update the firmware to make it work. Right. Right. But it wasn't, I think, a firmware issue per se. It was that the firmware that I had wasn't letting me use my waypoint or something like that. You know, I, I, I screwed something up in the process, so I had to redo it. And after the firmware update, it worked. Yeah. We we got better at uh, you know uh, just like you know, y'all did we got we got better at being able to do two things at once which was head to the north coordinate and the west coordinate at the same time oh my gosh it's awesome so you kind of learn how to angle toward the geocache you know but uh, just uh, and then you would just uh, people today don't I guess think but back then we'd mark on the piece of paper Susan would make a note you know DNF or she'd mark when we found it and yep. then come home and sit there and put them all in the computer so yeah and you had to sit down you had to go and log them and no one thought twice about taking you know a week before you log to find right because it might take you that long to get back to a computer and you know sit down you know laptops still weren't all that popular back then you right. usually had to go to a computer sit down at the computer and you know dial up your modem because a lot of people were still on modems yep go through that whole uh, uh bs <laughs> but I'll tell you, the, the the biggest change for me came when uh, paperless caching became a reality. And I used a uh, M505 instead of, you know, paper. Yes. Uh, me, the way I started was the Moby Reader. I'm going to pull, pull that up while you talk about it. Go ahead. All right. And the way, the way that uh, Pocket Queries used to work was you had the option of getting a Moby book with all of the cache information. So you'd get the GPX. Plus, you'd get this book, you know, this ebook that had each of the caches. Everything's indexed, you know, so that you can find it. And that was uh, the way that they were delivering the paperless stuff. So you didn't need a special app because there really weren't many apps out there. And the ones that were out there you know, weren't especially good. Uh, I think uh, Windows CE had uh, like one or two apps that weren't too bad but they were slow right and the moby book was you know not quick but by comparison very fast but that all ended when amazon acquired moby and the moby books became what's now the kindle format and geocaching.com lost the license because they wouldn't do any more licenses because they were wrapping it into their own format right uh, the app went unsupported, and it's like, yeah, it, it's done. You can't do it. And that's really when you started to see uh, development on a lot of these other ones. And uh, CashMate uh, was what I was using. Sure. Uh, and that, 
really uh, became popular and everyone was using CacheMate on both uh, uh, Windows and on Windows CE and on uh, the Palm. You know, and that was really was and, you know, and loading the GPSs got uh, a lot better in large part because we weren't dealing with serial connections anymore. But even this, the ones that did mm-hmm. moved up from 9,600 baud to like, you know, 3,800. Right. Or 38,000 rather. Yeah. So you could load stuff a lot quicker. Right. Exactly. Um, by the way, this one is for sale, $27, and you get a one-year warranty. I don't know if they really can get a warranty on these things anymore, but... Well, it's probably a cashback <laughs> guarantee is more likely what it is. <laughs> probably so, but yeah, it looks kind of cool. We were talking about it before the show that, um, you know, the grid... Uh, looks a little like a uh, looks like a phone kind of sort of but well uh, a lot of what happened with uh, smartphones was based on the palm because that became the uh, trail which you know before the iphone mm-hmm. was the most popular uh, phone for a long time yeah it was what most uh, businesses had uh, switched to and then the iphone came along and changed everything now during this time were you doing pretty much every type of geocache or were you pretty much just doing traditional were you oh we would do everything we could get our hands on though okay. uh, puzzle caches weren't very common we did have a lot of the multi caches the solve on site uh, multis where you had to go and find uh, something right do this math and then go to the next stage okay so we love doing that kind of stuff uh, which wasn't always easy with a lot of those uh, GPSRs. And, you know, with that Mobi format, what I probably didn't mention is there was no really good way to put in your finds or anything on those. So what we ended up doing is we'd highlight the title of the cache and you could do a bookmark with your notes. So it just put like the time that we found it. And that way it would sort into the right order. And then you go back and you do, uh, you know, like, you know, little notes if you needed to, like, you know, log, was all I would say. Right. And then we know that the log was uh, in need of replacement. And and because of that, you know, you just go through your bookmarks, write down, okay, yep, yep, yep. You know, find the uh, GC number, punch it in, go and log it, find the GC number, punch it in. You, know, you had to do it like right away before you forgot mm-hmm. what those caches were. That's awesome. Yeah, those are, you know, and, and, and we, we would get it done. I mean, it just, you know, we obviously, like you said, we, weren't the quickest back then, but you know, find we were finding caches. I mean, we, we, we found quite, you know, even in our first year, we, we would, we would find quite, you know, quite a few. Uh, um, I don't think we really did too many multis. We did a few, but you know, there weren't that many really out there. Mostly it was traditional. I think back then for a lot of very few, like you said, I, I don't remember any puzzles back in 06 no, or it, it, that's something that kind of developed and you know it's a lot uh, uh about the cachers in your area it is if someone had discovered puzzle caching in your area back in 2005 you probably had some puzzle caches you know we didn't have too many but we had a couple if i recall mm-hmm. that all of them though i want to say had to be solved on site including a number of them where there's a virtual right nearby sure I don't even know that they had a proximity rule back then. Oh gosh. Uh, you know, I don't know. I remember a change in the proximity rule and I remember, and I thought well, there was a change. I didn't know there was one. Right. Yeah. Um, and you know, this is, this is also, you know, the locationless caches uh, were archived. Then the um, uh, webcams and virtuals, were grandfathered mm-hmm. back in 2005. So it was like, maybe it was 2006, but it was so quick that I had never done a locationless before they were archived. Yeah. No, I'm, I was uh, same. We were the same. Uh, and we didn't really, we, we hit some in 06, but wow, we were just, we were just starting and we didn't, you know, we weren't going to branch out till we kind of knew yeah, I didn't understand how they worked at all by you know before they were archived, and then of course as soon as they were archived, that's when I figured out how they worked. Right, figures. So, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, um, 
talk a little bit about CacheMate because uh, you kind of got into CacheMate fairly early in your geocaching career. Yeah, and that really just was a, a way to get in and uh, log the uh, caches, uh, you know, get the information as well. Okay. But, uh, you know, you just had to end up with a list again that you have to log manually online. But that one actually took the GPX file. And it was not an easy process to get that stuff in. It was easier to do the Mobi format than the Cashly or the Cashly, the yeah. Cashmate format. Right. So you know you you didn't really go through a whole lot, and you could only get 500 caches in anyway. But you did the 500 closest caches to home like every week, so that you had them all in there and you knew what it was, and you loaded the GPS every week, so that you could always go out and find a cache on the spur of the moment. Sure. Yeah, you know, it was uh, you know, just the way that you learned to do things because you couldn't go out like now. You know, we don't think twice about loading no. caches. We just pull up the phone if we don't have the GPS loaded. Exactly. And, well, quite frankly, I don't use the GPS much anymore myself. I'm kind of like with you. I mean, I I I mostly use my iPhone, but we'll we'll get to that in a few minutes. So after that, you did get into some other products what are some of the things that you 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 well used? one of the things that was most interesting was the rhino 500 series uh, again from garmin mm -hmm. and it was essentially a, a hybrid in the hardware uh between like an e-trex and a 60 csx mm -hmm. with a uh, frs uh, gmrs radio so it had the walkie talkies in there plus you could send location data so okay. that was really interesting and kind of led to some interesting questions about where technology would uh, take us. And one of the things we really enjoyed doing with those uh, units, though they were not all that accurate, uh, was, okay, we can't find this cache. You go stand over here. I'll go stand <laughs> over here. Send the locations because that way we can see where it is on the map in comparison to the uh, cache location and kind of figure out where to look. Right. That's well, hey, and it worked. Yeah, it wasn't, yeah, it was really intended so that, you know, okay, we're, you know, half a mile apart. Where are you? But mm -hmm. of course, you know, the radios didn't actually work well enough to transmit that far. Sure. But it was, it was an interesting uh, concept in the, Units worked pretty well until like a firmware update, I think it was, that caused us some issues. Oh. And that's when I moved to the uh, 60 CSX full time. And that was my uh, main GPSR for quite a long time. Uh, and uh, Dre was using the uh, Magellan Explorers XL, mm -hmm. which I've was really that. cool because that one actually did do paperless caching, just not well. You couldn't mark that you had uh, done the cache and you, you know, you could like go to the cache and get the information, but that was it. It was read only. Oh. So you had to remember that you had done it. It wouldn't take them off the screen or anything. So you had to make a mental note or make a, make a jot. Uh, right. As to which ones you did and all that kind of thing. And with the uh, 60 CSX, you could at least take that cache icon and, market is found it would change it to the open treasure chest and put an entry on the calendar so i could go back there and go through that calendar and tell which caches i had done oh wow the magellan explorers xl had the great icons it had the color screen it really was an interesting concept but you had to use their uh, windows only app to uh, parse your gpx file and load it in and i want to say it would only handle like 250 uh, geocaches but it had all the information yeah well that yeah so and the icons it had so, the right icons so in a sense you really were paperless i mean you had extra it steps was. but it really was yeah. but it wasn't technically paperless caching because paperless caching came out with the uh, oregon colorado series mm -hmm. and i actually got the 300 and did uh, uh some reviews on that one for uh I want to say it was Podcaster as well, but I know I did the review for uh, Ice and Rise uh, Geocaching Video Zine. Okay, and that was that was an interesting one to put together because it's such a different unit. It was the first one to have the paperless caching. It really was a totally different GUI, and it had the very very bizarre rock and roller wheel. 
So you had the directional pad on the roller wheel with a select button, and then it had the roller so that you could do like your jogging through lists. Oh, wow. Yeah. It was a very bad (laughs) idea. I, it was oh, no. it was a cool idea, but it was bad. But that's the one that actually did the paperless caching for the first time where you could actually drop a GPX file onto it. It would create the field notes text file, which could then be uploaded to geocaching.com. And then you went through and it really did change everything. You know, and a lot of people, I think, even to this, well, yeah, I think a lot of people today, um, I have friends that still use a lot of uh, GPSs, GPSRs out of the Oregon series. Um, Yeah, the Oregon was the one that actually made that work well, because Colorado had a whole bunch of problems. But it was also the one that introduced uh, Where I Go. And I actually went to Chicago's uh, Garmin store, mm -hmm. which at the time was the only one. I think they actually have, uh, like, two or three now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I went to the uh, store, met with uh, Jeremy Irish. Wow. Who was hey. doing a uh, talk about uh, where I go there. And we actually went and did the where I go test cartridge out in front of the store. The whole class went and found the uh, uh, virtual cache down the street. You know, it was a, it was an interesting time and, and it was cold too. Which, you know, is interesting. Um, I, uh, where I goes, even to this day, a lot of people have never done it where I go. I've only done a handful uh, and I, I own one, but nobody, you, you know, around here, a traditional cash, a fines, you know, is to me is a great thing that where I, that poor, where I go, that, that little cash, uh, he's just, he's very lonely out there by himself. Cause nobody mm-hmm. seems to, nobody wants to do, you know, um, it's still a challenge to do a where I go, uh, not not from the author's perspective, because that's not the easiest thing either. But from the uh, finder's perspective, it, it's a challenge to find the right app, make it work right, get the you know cartridge in. It's it's not as easy as it uh, uh, really should have been. Yes. But I, I was really interested in the where I go format because it kind of finally looked like I was going to have something to fulfill that uh, promise of the audio tours. So I went and bought a uh, Mio DigiWalker, which was one of the few Windows CE devices that was supported for doing where I go testing. And that's when I realized where I go needed some major changes before it could actually work. Right. Yeah, that You can do a bunch of stuff on the Windows CE side that you couldn't do on the uh, Garmin player because there's no speakers for one. So you couldn't do any audio. And on the uh, Windows CE side, they would let you do some audio. But just trying to get more than about three or four zones on that uh, player with a uh, DigiWalker bogged it down to the point where it was completely unusable. Mm-hmm. So that was it. It was like, yeah, where I go isn't going to work. Well, yeah. And who knows where, where I goes will go, you know, from here to the future. But, uh, okay. So from there, um, you, uh, and let me mention some of the sh- uh, in the the Q and A. Uh, Electric Waterboy mentioned. He says, "I love my Colorado 300. The on-off button fell off. The wheel fell off, and it got lost. So we replaced it last summer with an Oregon 650." Yeah, 650s are totally different units, and they don't have where I go anymore. Very cool. Um, well, not cool that that's gone, but very cool that he got his. He replaced it. Uh, with something. Um, Doc Firewoman is in Q&A. She mentioned that she wants to get a few states on her way to um, GeoWizDoc 14-er, which uh, I will be out at. I'm uh, sad, Daryl, that you're not going this year. No, not this year. Well, I, we Usually do I do every other year, but yeah, I couldn't do it this year again. Yeah, I understand. That's okay. But uh, um, we're... Susan and I are going to make the trek out, hit Mingo and all that other good good stuff along the way. So we're looking forward to our little trip. But Oh, well. So you've you moved on to – did you really use okay. – did you new, use a Nuvi? Well, I used the Nuvis in the car. Okay. And the, that – you know, this is, again, before you had the phones. Okay, yeah. So 
you know, you'd have the newbie that you load. Uh, and, and the way I did that one was I loaded the POIs because that you could just strip out mm-hmm. real quick and easy. Yeah. The bookmarks, you had to either delete them all or one by one. And deleting them all meant that I had to delete the addresses that I put in there too. So that, that didn't work very well. So yeah. I had the newbie that with the POIs. And I'd use, uh, at that point, I was already uh, up to the Oregon uh, 200 and 400, you know, one of each because we had the two of us. Right. And uh, use those uh, to actually find the caches, get the cache information. But we'd do the newbies to get us uh, uh, to and from the caches. But that's uh, kind of about the time, too, when I actually had the iPod Touch. Okay. Like that one enough. Uh, you know, not that it really worked for geocaching in the touch version, but the iPhone certainly did the three G at the GPS. Mm-hmm. People started using it yep. and we saw an app come out. Uh, actually there was a web, a web app uh, before the three GS actually came out uh, that would let you do some uh, paperless caching. But of course the web app doesn't work with the iPod mm-hmm. touch because there's no data connection to it. Yes. Uh, but I ended up uh, with a uh, iGeocacher, which was an app. Yeah, where you could load the GPX files and actually uh, do it. But, uh, you know, it was good enough to find caches, kind of. <laughs> yeah, right. in, in the loosest sense of the word. But more importantly, was it was a good supplement for the uh, Oregons because I could bring up the uh, cache information there, take care of uh, the logging and stuff on, you know, a decent keyboard. Right. But... Yeah, this is when the official app from uh, geocaching.com came out too. And I was using that uh, for a little while, but really didn't end up using that too much. Uh, I did move to the uh, to Geosphere when that came out, and uh, that was on yes. the iPhone 3G still. I, I had to go through the 3GS because I, I was just killing the 3G with the uh, performance. Ended up moving to the 4. And by the time I was on the 4... I wasn't taking the uh, GPSR with me as much mm-hmm. when the iPhone five came out. That was it. I was pretty much done, but I did still upgrade. I ended up with uh, several different units, including the DeLorean PN 40. And it tried the 60, but the 60 kind of just never really worked as well for me. Sure. And of course the GPS map 62 ST. Oh yes. GPS. I know people still use those to this day. Oh yeah. <clears throat> Well, they're uh, only a generation old because the 64s uh, are the current version. Mm-hmm. I kind of think we're going to see something uh, before too long. But the really the main difference as far as we would be concerned is Bluetooth on the 64s. Okay. Well, you mentioned Geosphere. We need to talk about this a little bit because you love Geosphere. You love it a lot. And yeah. you're still clinging, My but you're about to let your grasp go of Geosphere. You know, we're we're probably tomorrow at WWDC going to hear about iOS 10. Okay. Yep. My guess, Geosphere will not work under iOS 10. We don't know for sure, but it's not even iOS 7 compliant. Right. You can't make updates to the app as it stands right now because it's so old that they won't accept the compiled code from it. Oh, boy. Well, you know, it's hard to give up on a on an app you love so much, but... Yeah, and that's served me so well. It's been everything for so long. But, yeah, I, I am moving toward uh, Cashly, which, you know, you love. And oh, it's yes. it's incredible to see the progress that this has made since it launched. Because when it came out, it it was an interesting product, but like some of the other geocaching apps, it's an interesting product, but doesn't really work for me. Yeah, and um, I really do. Everybody needs to go listen to your uh, latest uh, show on GeoGearheads uh, with Nick uh, Hubbard from Cashly. Um, Nick and I have, you know, stayed in touch and I'm going to have him on the show at some point in the near future. Uh, he's going to be out at uh, Geo, Geo Woodstock 14 doing a seminar. So I suggest anybody that's out there and is interested, uh, in the app, or at least if you don't, well, either if you, if you own it and use it, or if you're interested in it, 
and want to find out more, I would, and you're going to be at Geo Woodstock, I would suggest uh, taking some time to stop by and see him do that. Um, but so many things that uh, you, you mentioned on, on the show you, y'all did recently, uh, to me, really, really is such a positive. I mean, he de- definitely does not. He definitely does respond quickly. Uh, Scott was, <laughs> I, uh, I loved it. Scott was asking a lot of interesting, fun questions. Uh, you know, very. Uh, he really got into the, you know, the, the customer support <laughs> for your mm-hmm. show during that. But it, it was. But you know what? It was really interesting. And um, you know, Nick really is very responsive, and he's done a lot with with cashly and um yeah and there's so much more on the board that will be coming yeah and um slinky mama she's uh you know how you're kind of like i don't really want to let go of geosphere because i really love it she loves the classic app the geocaching classic app and i told her i said honey it's going away it's not gonna be around much longer and she's like oh, i'm gonna use it until the thing doesn't work anymore mm-hmm <laughs> Which the, there's a good chance that it's going to be uh, in October when uh, iOS 10 is actually released. Not that we know that iOS 10 is released and that it's going to break all this stuff, but the the writing is kind of on the wall for a lot of these older apps. And see, uh, Susan, she will. Um, I know this is going to sound crazy. She will not upgrade her iOS if she has to. If she if she doesn't have to upgrade it, see, I'll say that right. I had actually. Yeah, I, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, I, I stuck with, uh, I want to say it was iOS 7 for a while because of some issues uh, with iOS 8 on Geosphere. I could be wrong. I could have been like, I was sticking with 6 instead of going to 7, but yeah, yeah. that's that's a critical enough uh, app that it was an issue. And but that's why I'm lining up my uh, ducks now so that I can move to Cashly and be all happy on Cashly. Excellent. Well, um, before we get into our product review of the week, is there? Did you want to mention anything else about uh, where we're at with um, some of your products that you use? You mentioned the Etrex Thirty. I have yeah, the Etrex the Etrex Thirty is like the GPS that I use now, right. uh, and I don't use it very often. It's mostly for when I go out and place a cache. Mm-hmm. But the the thing that's really sad is I keep taking that thing with me. It's powered on. It's loaded up. I go route to the cache. Four caches later, I go. Oh, I have the Etrix thirty, and it's still routing to this other cache. <laughs> it's, it, I just don't use it anymore. It, yeah. It's so much cleaner to just use the uh, iPhone, and mm-hmm. I don't know how you're caching with the uh, phone, but the way that I typically cache is I use the satellite maps, and I find a placeholder or two, a place marker rather, mm-hmm. or two. Like maybe there's a picnic table or a big tree and it's like okay it's over here i put down the phone i just walk over there and i start looking i don't even look at the phone and this is part of why i like the smartphone caching so much mm-hmm. with like the 60 and the 62 it's pretty much okay follow it okay it's right here okay there it took a lot of the fun out of the hunt that we had back in the early days of caching because mm-hmm. you had so many flaws in the gps technology that you had to go and search Oh, you so, did because your radius was uh, big. I mean, you're yeah. If at, well, at, at best one hundred, yeah, yeah. But at best, you're looking at one hundred fifty feet at least. I mean, right. that was so that was I good. liked the whole thing about the smartphone, where it's like, okay, I have a couple of spots that I can look. I'm going to start here, and then I'll go back to it if I need it. So it it just makes it a little bit more fun, and I find caches usually much easier that way. But it's easier and it's more fun. I agree. Um, we did a bunch yesterday out in the woods and, um, I, you know, I've, I was kind of like that. We, we, we struggled at times, but, um, he was pretty accurate. Even, even out in the middle of nowhere, uh, you know, we well, had I was G- just about to say the problem with my technique with the satellites is in those woods. Yes. There you're just going, you know, the, you know, here's the arrow, here's the pin. I'm, you know, I, there I am now I've got the cash. But, uh, even then I sometimes, it, this is one of the great things about the satellite maps too. If you stare at those satellite maps and you get used to it, you can see the hiking trails through the trees usually. Yes. And that's saved me a 
boatload of times where it's like, how do I get to this cache? Oh, here, I see the trail. I see where, okay, yeah, okay. So if we go here, we go here. Okay, there it is. You know, yes. you follow these weird lines between the trees that you just eventually instinctively know are trails. Yes, and you know, uh, that's, like you said, the, the, the fun is getting near the cache and then finding it. It's not necessarily fun to be trudging through and avoiding, um, you know, bushwhacking through uh, through a forest and going, wow, you know, I'm having a lot of fun getting to this one cache when I could have just taken a trail, like you said, to get near it. Then I can hunt because I want to hunt. I don't really want to bushwhack through the, you know, today I'm not bushwhacking. I'm trying to find geocaches. So, you know, you kind of get that, uh, you know, like you said, try to use uh, what you can, what you're, what's, what's available nowadays on a phone. So, um, okay, well, um, we're going to talk a little bit where each week I'm going to have a product review of the week. It is sponsored by Cashly. Ironically, Cashly, the foremost geocaching app, and you can find Cashly at C A C H dot L Y. And this week's, uh, some, of the, some of the weeks I'm going to do the product, and sometimes our guest will do the product. This week, Daryl has a product that he wants to, to talk about. So tell us about this product, Daryl. Well, some people might know what a panorama is. Uh, more people probably are going to be familiar with the term VR, though. Mm -hmm. And VR in the real world mostly means like a 360-degree view where you can go all the way around, all the way up and down, and get a sense of what it's like to be standing that location. And I've loved the panoramas and the uh, 360 images because it's an easy way to get a real sense of place. So when I heard about the Ryko Theta S series way back like three years ago when they first came out, I was a little interested, but it really didn't seem to be quite there yet. And it's this cool little device that has Two cameras, one on either side with oh. fisheye lenses so that it okay. can capture the entire world, including the hand that's holding it. So it, it, it's a little tricky to use one of these things. <laughs> that's interesting. Yeah. And then it takes those two images, stitches them together, and you end up with a 360 image that you can either view as a big flat image that looks really weird and cool, or you put it into a viewer and you can pan around and you'll see everything in stills. Well, the uh, Theta S came out uh, not quite a year ago, and it's still in somewhat short supply because it is a newer product. And with all the interest in VR, people are uh, jumping on these things. And it actually does video as well as the stills. Hmm. Now, it does 1080 video, which I know sounds like it's going to be pretty good. But you have to remember... The 1080 video is its total video image. When you're dealing with something like VR, you're cropping in on that. So it gets smaller and smaller and smaller. And because it's just two lenses and there's all the distortion, those seams, uh, you know, stuff in between those two doesn't have a whole lot of pixels. Okay. So when you start playing with it, the video is very cool because, yes, you can pan around. You can see everything. And one of the first things I did was try to do a, a geocache hunt where you're kind of looking over my shoulder as I try to find this cache. You couldn't see the cache at all. Oh, no. <laughs> it's too small in the frame, no matter what you do. So it, it has a lot of coolness, but, you know, it's just not really there yet. You're going to need a lot more, I think, than the 1080 to make it viable, but it's still a really cool product and really fun uh, thing. If you're into capturing that sense of place, mm -hmm. then you certainly need to look at the Theta S. And, and I will mention the Nikon uh, key, key mission coming okay. out uh, supposedly end of the summer. And that's actually going to be a 1080 or a 4K rather uh, camera similar to this one, but it's an action camera. Oh, okay. So it's going to be more durable. It's going to be a lot more expensive. The target price is apparently closer to $600. This is about $400, a little less most places. So, you know, you can find this one. It's a nice little handheld camera. If you're looking to capture that sense of place. And Daryl's showing it right now. Yep. 
It's uh, just a nice little thing that you can, you know, I put it in a little belt clip, carry it around. I can uh, go and pop uh, 360s uh, stills. And those have uh, plenty of detail for actually getting a sense of where you are. Uh, if you're looking for some of that experiential kind of thing, it's still a lot of fun. I take this uh, to the zoo a lot of the time, give people an idea of what the new exhibit looks like. Uh, I'm, a lot of my uh, YouTube videos lately have been 360s at the Pigorium. People really seem to love that. But one of the more interesting ones was a uh, uh, speeder at one of the, um, what was it called? Railroad Days down in Toledo. One of the clubs down there with uh, people that have these little speeders, they're basically go-karts for train tracks. Oh, okay. Maybe yep. cruising these things to get around a little bit easier. Mm-hmm. You know, they can't take a full train because that's too big and too heavy and too expensive. Right. So they'd run around in these little light go-karts. And uh, the, there's clubs that uh, collect these things, bring them back, restore them. So they were giving people rides just up and down. So I just took the thing and kind of stuck it, you know, over my shoulder, braced it. We went down and back and it was really a lot of fun because you got the sense of not only how uh, the place looks, how the cars, uh, the interior of these cars looked, but you also got the sense that these seats don't turn around. So when you're going backwards, you don't see anything unless you turn around. So it's a fun toy, uh, not really uh, all that productive. But if you're looking to capture that uh, place, sense of place, yeah. that little bit of the uh, share, that little bit of experience, you know, for three fifty, which is what I paid for mine, it's not bad. It's not going to be anything great that you're going to love in a few years, and especially if you're looking for something for that uh, HTC Vive or the Oculus Rift, not really going to do it for you. Mm-hmm. Plus, any of these things right now aren't able to do the uh, stereo images. So it's a 2D image that you just get to pan around. But it's it's awesome to be able to bring those up on the phone. YouTube uh, lets you do just on your standard phone. You take the thing, you pan around. You know, you're, you're actually spinning in place, looking up, down. And it's yeah. like you have a window looking into a different world. Yeah, that is really cool. And, you know, I think there's that you're sort of in the, the beginning stages of something that I think is very interesting. Uh, and you're going to see a lot more of. Oh, absolutely. There's a lot of talk about uh, uh, newer stuff that's coming out. Some of the phone manufacturers are getting into cameras like this that are still external because you can't really do something like this on a camera yet. But I would not be surprised if you start seeing some of this making its way into cameras or into phones. Uh, you know, if you could find a way to get four cameras on the phone, you know, one on either side kind of thing, right? One on each side then you certainly could probably pull it off with the phone. And that would be much better than this is because you have those four cameras and it can get that much more detail. You know, fisheye lenses cause distortion. That's just the way physics work. Right. So you're always going to have problems with that. You get into the professional VR rigs right now and it's at least six cameras. Sure. Sure. This is only two, but it's something that you can carry with you. It's relatively cheap. And it's, you know, something you can whip out mm-hmm. and take a picture. Very fun. Yep. Well, good. Well, th- thanks for sharing that. Uh, we're going to do our giveaway and we're going to wrap up the show. But uh, here are the kind of the rules for this, <clears throat> this giveaway. Uh, I'll, I'm going to show you a coin, GeoCoin. And I want you to guess what the app is that the, is represented by this GeoCoin. And I want you to send me uh, your guess to geocachetalk at gmail.com. First correct answer will win the coin. I'll get back to you then to get uh, your shipping information. So sorry, this week is not for audio listeners. I'll do some uh, as time goes on for everyone, Uh, not just the live people. But I want to do a live one tonight, being show number one and everything. So I'm going to show it. So get your, as um, uh, Daryl always says, you know, get your, uh, get your emails ready for show number one. And I'm going to show the coin and then send me an email. So let's see if I can show this coin and get it just right. And I'm showing the coin now, hoping it'll maybe, maybe not. There it goes. 
that's your best shot at, a, at seeing what it is. That was it. <laughs> I got to uh, I got to focus for a minute there, Daryl. So that's about as good as going to get. Hey, is, I, I know what it is, but of course, <laughs> you know. other people. Well, anyway, so uh, again, send me an email. Uh, first one to guess correctly what the app is. I'm going to send that to you. So I want to thank Daryl for being on show one. Very it's been a pleasure. Thank you thank, very much. Oh, well, thank you so much. Uh, of all the, as I was kind of thinking about some different people uh, over the last couple of weeks to have on show one, uh, Daryl, you were you you rose to the top of my list. So I really do thank you. I've uh, listened to uh, your podcast for years, and um, it bec- it was really uh, really was the choice I wanted to go with. And I'm so thankful you were uh, able to be on this show with me tonight. Uh, and I'm so that, that I was able to be on, <laughs> you know, that I was that high on the list. You were, you were, you were on the top. So, and again, thank you again. Um, and hopefully we'll have you on again, uh, sometime. Maybe we'll do like, uh, you know, once, uh, if at very least once a year, uh, maybe on the, uh, the anniversary of show one, but maybe I assume before that I'm hoping to do maybe what we did last year, you know, where we got all the podcasts together. I still think that'd be cool to do. So sounds good to me. I was still looking for someone to take on the uh, uh, cashers of the round table. <laughs> right. That was a fun show. Oh it, yeah, exciting. But this uh, takes a lot of production. It yeah, I know. I, th- I but we definitely want to do a, a show around the holidays. So that'll be that'll be fun, and I think we can we can rustle up everybody to do that again. So sure, it's a lot of cats to wrangle, but it's worth it. It is. It is. But it was it was so much fun last year. So I hope we can do it again. So. Well, anyway, I hope uh, that'll do it for this week. Hope everyone enjoyed the show. And if you did, uh, you know, email me uh, and tell me uh, your comments uh, at uh, geocachetalk at gmail.com. Uh, don't forget to follow on Twitter at geocachetalk and Facebook at facebook.com slash geocachetalk. The show can be found on the Geocache Talk YouTube channel, iTunes, as well as Stitcher, and, of course, the website. I think I mentioned that. Tell your friends about the show. Ask them to subscribe. And they, too, can hear the show on a weekly basis. And don't just talk about geocaching. Go geocaching. Good night, everyone. <laughs>